0: You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Uh, Hey, today we're continuing our series on the book of James, and we're going kind of through the book of James, uh, not necessarily verse by verse, but we're kind of picking out some of the big themes and we're talking about them. And so last week uh, on the note-taking card was an action step to read through the book of James this past week. And so that's also the action step for this week and next week and the week after that. And so uh, it's on there multiple times because I want us over the next several weeks, to read through the book of James time and time again, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal something new and fresh to us every time we go through it. I don't know if you know this or not, but we don't ever arrive when it comes to God's word. Like I know all the stories. I know all there is to know. That's never, that's not a good place to be. (laughs) A great place to be is to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I'm reading this. I know this passage. I know this story, but show me something fresh today. And the Holy Spirit wants to answer that prayer. And so as we're reading through the book of James, I would just encourage you, approach it with that mindset. Listen for his voice. Listen for what he's going to show you, something fresh, something new, every single time that we go through it. Today, though, we're talking about how to have a living faith. How do we have a living faith? Whether you know it or not, there is such thing as having a dead faith, or James calls it a useless faith as well. And so we're going to talk about uh, how do we have a living faith? We don't want to have a dead faith. We don't want to have a useless faith. We want to have a living faith that's active and, and it's working in our lives. And so we, we pull this main idea from, from James chapter 2, verse 26. I'm going to read from the New King James today. It says this, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Faith without works is dead also. We're going to dive into this. What exactly does this mean for us? But I want to specifically look at three things that a living faith does. How do I know if I have a living faith? How do I know if my faith is active and at work and whether it's alive or whether it's static and dead? How do I have what James is talking about? And before we get into it, let me remind you, James, the, the author of this book, um, well, he wrote it down. Holy Spirit breathed it into him to write down. So Holy Spirit, God's really the author, but James wrote it down. Um, but what he, uh, James specifically, the, the human James, he is the the half-brother of Jesus. And so he comes at it with a unique perspective. Last week we talked about how he didn't actually become a believer until after the resurrection. And so he comes at it from a very specific um, perspective in the sense that he started off as a skeptic, he knew Jesus growing up. He kept him at a, at a distance and kind of watched. But then once he saw everything that went down, he became a believer and eventually became a, a significant leader at the church of Israel in the very, in the very beginning. And so uh, let's talk about these three things, though. The first one is this. A living faith controls its tongue. It guards its mouth. It watches what it says. A controlled or a living faith controls its tongue. And I'm going to show you from the book of James where we see this. There's a couple different spots that we see this. One of the things that's interesting, if you read through the book of James this past week or as you do this week, you're going to read chapter 1. And then as you continue to read two, three, four, and 5, uh, you're going to realize that James kind of goes back to certain topics. Chapter 1 in the book of James is almost an overview of what he's going to talk about in the rest of the book. So sometimes you're going to read later on in the book of James, you're going to be like, I think he already covered this, but I, I feel like he's repeating himself he does it in a way where he is um, highlighting some certain things to make sure that you see it. Where it's not just a one and done. He says it, and then he comes back to it later and he circles back around. So we're going to look at a few different passages for this one. James 1, starting in verse 19, it says this So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. He says, Listen quickly, be slow to speak, and slow to wrath. I think many times as you walk with God, there's going to be times that you, um, I've heard people say this, well, I have a righteous anger towards something, right? Like I have this righteous anger towards something. And, and I get that. There's certain things that should make you righteously angry. However, I think many times we abuse that phrase in the sense that we say that about other people's sin, but we very rarely say it about the things that we deal with. It's easy to be, have a righteous anger about someone else's problem, right? Their issue that's going on rather than God, <laughs> what should I be righteously angry about and deal with that's in my own life? And so he says, be careful that your wrath doesn't take over because that's not the righteousness of God. Sometimes we like to think that it is the righteousness of God, but he's saying it's not. But many people think this, many people think that being a Facebook theologian through their arguments and their debates is a proof of godliness, it's not. <laughs> can, I just, can we just put us all on the same, same page here today? According to James, just because I'm a Facebook theologian and I can argue really good with people in the comments section doesn't mean that I am a godly person. We've got to have something that backs it up. Let's continue on. Verse 26, chapter James 1. He says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and he does not bridle his tongue, but he deceives his own heart, that one's religion is useless. Oh, come on, James. He's coming after us today. Verse 27. He says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. A couple things to point out here. James puts a big um, emphasis on bridling the tongue, being aware of what is coming out of my mouth. In today's world, that's not just what I am saying in person, that's also what I'm posting online. That's also what I'm saying behind somebody's back. That's also what I'm saying at work. It's what I'm texting to someone. What am I allowing to even theoretically come out of my mouth? And if I don't, he says an uncontrolled tongue and a deceived heart go hand in hand. An uncontrolled tongue and a deceived heart go hand in hand. And here's what makes it even worse. They are companions of an empty religion. A deceived heart an uncontrolled tongue, they lead right to an empty religion. And here's what James is showing us. James says that a living faith, it actually talks less and it does more. It talks less and it does more. We see this in the life of Jesus, and I don't, I, I've pulled the numbers before, but I don't have them before me. I've, um, but how many times Jesus was asked questions? If you go through and you do this study, how many times was he asked a question? And then you look at how many times did Jesus answer that question versus how much did he answer that question with a question? There was very few, just a handful of times that he actually answered directly the question. Why? Jesus understood this principle. He understood that it's not so much about what I'm going to say that's going to convince you or show you. It's what I do. It's what I say backed with action. And that is what will change people's lives. And so here's what James does. Then he goes on and he says, here's, here's what undefiled religion looks, looks like. Here's what we should be doing. And what he does is he doesn't give us necessarily an exhaustive list of things that we should be doing. But he does give us some examples. And the examples are pretty simple. It's living a selfless life. He's saying, you can talk all you want. But do you have some selfless acts to back it up? It's easy to serve somebody when you, when you get the recognition, right? Like when I, when I, when I know someone's going to tell me a good job or when I know I'm going to get an award or I'm going to get my, you know, uh, I'm going to get on the news or something like that. It's easy to serve somebody when I know people are going to see it and applaud me for it. But James is saying, are you willing to do the behind the scenes things that maybe no one will ever see? And he said, that is good proof that you're, you have that living faith on the inside, and I would say this: Your walk with God is useless, according to James. Your walk with God is useless if it does not transform the way you live and the way you treat others. Let me say that again: Your walk with God, according to James, is useless if it does not transform the way I live and the way I treat others. You see what I'm saying about James? Like he's got some harsh language. He can he can um, he can get after us a little bit and step on our toes. But these are the types of topics that the modern church needs to talk about. Because the modern church, we can run our mouth or we can just play church games and we can uh, think that we're making an impact by just using lip service. But James is showing us, God's word shows us time and time again, that's great, but what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? He says, "Uh, your walk with God is useless if it doesn't transform the way you live. He says, be unspotted from the world. Is there anything in my life that I got to get rid of? Is there any worldliness that's clinging to me that I need to lay aside so I can walk as a proper representation of Jesus Christ? Number two is this, a living faith repents. A living faith repents. I think many times we think of the word repent and we just think of saying, I'm sorry, or asking for forgiveness. But that's not truly, uh, biblically, the word repent is this, to change one's mind and purpose as the result of knowledge. So I'll say it this way. You receive knowledge of something and you change your mindset about it and you also change your action about it. So you change your mind and you change your actions. That is repenting. Repenting is not just, well, I'm going to continue to live in sin and just ask for forgiveness and hope that God's grace covers it all. Repenting is realizing I'm in sin, asking for forgiveness, and then to literally turn from my way and try to walk in righteousness. But that action of turning from my way is where a lot of people miss it. They just continue to walk down the path to hell until eventually they, they get there rather than saying, Lord, I need help. I need to surround some people that will help me turn from my ways and help me walk in a new and fresh direction, in a righteous direction But many times we don't actually make that turning point, which is crucial. And here's what James says. So let's go continue on. James 1, uh, starting verse 21. He says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which was able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, he goes away, and he immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Okay, let's talk about this for a second. For a long time, this, this uh, passage or this example of the mirror kind of confused me for quite a while. But let me give you this example. Let's pretend that this morning on the way to church, you got this, uh, this hankering for some donuts, Anybody, got some donut fans in here? Like, okay, come on. Uh, Going to, maybe you got a hankering for just, you know, a daylight maple long john any maple fans in the house somebody okay i'm all about, if i can get donuts that's what i'm gonna get a maple long john so if you ever want to get me a donut that's the one to get me okay side note anyway so maybe you get this hankering for a maple long john and you go and you get your family with you and so you go and you, you get the maple long john and on the way here you're just you're just in a little bit of a rush and so you're just eating and you're not really paying attention to what you're doing and as you're eating um you get some of the 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 maple crusty icing around your mouth right here you know you're just going for it and it's just kind of messy and you have it all over your face. And you pull into the parking lot. And as you're getting ready to get out of the car and get everybody inside. And before you get out, your spouse says, hold up. <laughs> you can't go in looking like that. You got some, you got a little, you know, a little smooch right here. You, you got to do something about this. You got some stuff on your face. They pull down the, uh, the rear view mirror and they say, look, look what's on your face. And then you look at it and you see that there's this maple icing crusty all around your mouth. And it looks disgusting. But you think, ah, it's not that big of a deal. You put the mirror back up, you get out, and you come into church. And everyone sees the stuff that's on your face. Okay? Two questions that come up with that. Number one, how foolish of you or of me to ignore it and to come in anyway with stuff on my face. Right? It's easy to get a napkin or even just to brush it off and be good. The second thing is this. How frustrating for your spouse or for a friend that you ignored them and went in anyway. Right, if it's your spouse, your spouse realizes that you are a representative of the family. You need to be put together, right? You need to smell good. You need to do something with yourself, right? You don't. You don't want. You want. You are representing your family name. Hey, they love you, and they're saying, "Hey, you got something on your face? I don't want you to look like a fool." Right? It's from a good heart. They can say it nicely and, and help you wipe some stuff off your face. But the truth is, this happens spiritually every Sunday. Uh, one pastor said it this way. He says, many pastors think that their job is to paint some beautiful picture of the gospel every Sunday with their words, but that is not true. As a pastor, my job is to hold up the truth like a spiritual mirror so the Holy Spirit can show you what you needs to be addressed this week and what you can work on. It's not the pastor's job to make the mirror. It's not the pastor's job to make it a really cool-looking mirror. It's the pastor's job to say, hey, I got something that you need to look at today. And when you look at it, it's like looking in a mirror. You're going to see a reflection of yourself and the Holy Spirit will say, hey, you see that little bit that you got right here? (laughs) Let's get that taken care of so that you can move forward. And even better, he's going to tell you, hey, next time you eat, maybe let's slow down a little bit. Let's wipe, you know, between bites. Let's take a breath between bites. You know what I mean? Like, hey, let's fix it so it doesn't happen again. This is what happens in the spiritual realm. Let's go back to our two questions though, right? How foolish of me To see the truth every Sunday, like a mirror, and then do nothing about it. (sighs) Right? It's just as foolish as me looking at something on my face, or my hair being messed up, and being like, ah, it's fine, and going in anyway. It's not good. The second question, how frustrating for pastors who love you to see you do nothing about it? Just as if you told your spouse, hey, you got something on your face. You gave them a napkin, you gave them a mirror, and they still did nothing. How, how frustrating. Many times as pastors we feel that. Man, I, sh- I showed you the truth of God's word. Just trust, not even me, trust the mirror enough to do something about it. And many times it's not a hard adjustment. Many times it's something very, very simple. But this happens all the time. Right? I trust God with so many parts of my life, but then many times we'll hold up the mirror of truth and it's like, well, I trust God with this, this, and this, but that whole tithing thing, ah, I don't know about, doesn't really apply to me and my family, so I think I'm just going to put the mirror down and go on into church with a little stuff on my face, right? The whole serving thing, the whole forgiving others thing, like I, I know I'm supposed to forgive others, but I'm just going to, you know, put that away and just move on with my life. Meanwhile, it's as, as silly as walking around with stuff on my face, The Holy Spirit's not out here to put you down and to keep you down. The Holy Spirit's out here to make you a better you. That's why he gives you the mirror. He says, hey, there's some things we can fix. There's some things we can clean up. And by doing so, it's going to make you a better you. He's not there to say, look how dumb you look. That's not the Holy Spirit at all. He's there to help you. In verse 25, it says this, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and does not, is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. It's the very bottom there. This one will be blessed in what he does. So a key thing in here is continues in it, continues in it. Here's what that means. It means that they look into the the truth mirror of God's word and they address what needs to be addressed. They continue in it. So this might apply more to, to the ladies than the men. But imagine looking in the mirror and your hair is messed up. I know with my wife, Leslie, if, if her hair is messed up, she's not going to just look and then like just kind of mess with it a little bit. And if it doesn't get fixed, just go on. Like if it's all, if it's all crazy and messed up, what's she going to do? She's going to stay looking at the mirror until it gets fixed. And then she's going to move on. But this is what happens many times. He, he, says, he says, continues in it. And becomes a doer of the work, meaning I'm continuing to look until I get what needs to be fixed, fixed. I got to look and examine and then look at it in my life, reflect it on my life and see, okay, what else needs to be adjusted here? And many times it's these small adjustments that make the biggest difference. But this is why on your note-taking cards when you come to Abide Church, this is why we always have reflection questions and action steps of some sort that we want to give you. There's two reasons for this point right here. Reflection questions. What is it? Reflect. It's the mirror. (laughs) We want to give you something to reflect on. What did the Holy Spirit say to you through this message? Sometimes it's a little more specific, but many times we at least put that on there. And then we give you an action step. Why? Continue in it and do something about it. Don't just reflect. Reflect and act on it. Reflect and act on it. In verse 22, he says this. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is huge deceiving yourselves. Hear me in this. Satan is thrilled when believers pack out churches, hear God's word, and then do nothing about it. Let me say it again. Satan is thrilled when believers pack out churches, hear God's word, and then do nothing with it. Why? James says when we do that, we are deceiving ourselves. The enemy loves it when we don't do anything because we are actually doing his job for him. He's called the deceiver. And yet what are we doing? Deceiving ourselves. I'm taking on the enemy's job description saying, I'll take care of that. (laughs) I'll take care of the whole deceiving thing and getting off track thing. I got you covered. Do you see why acting and applying is so important? Receiving is great. Believing is a great start. Hearing is good. But eventually i got to allow the Holy Spirit to prompt me to action. I have to. If I don't, I'm missing all that God has for me. Because here's the promise of God's word in here. Everywhere there's a promise, whenever there's there's um, an action saying, hey, you need to do this. It's always backed with a promise showing from God. The promise is this. When I respond to truth with action, I am blessed in what I do. It's at the very bottom. When you're a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Do I want God to bless my work? Do I want God to bless my hand? Do I want God to bless my family? Do I want God to prosper my relationships and my marriage and to help me parent my kids better? Where does it start? I got to hear, but I also got to do something. I got to do something about this. The last one is this. A living faith produces fruit. And this is the action. I reflect, right? I see what's going on. I, I can fix it. Address it, but a living faith eventually I gotta produce fruit, and this is the truly putting it into action. Think about an apple tree for just a second. Where's the and you don't have to answer this out loud, but where's the life of the tree? The the true life of the tree is in its roots, it's under the bark, it's deep within. So, how do you know that the tree is alive? By what it's producing. I can see it, its leaves, its fruit, I know that it is alive, it is healthy by what it is producing. So how do I know if I have a living faith? My faith is deep in here, but I can reveal it biblically to others by my actions, my attitudes, my words, what I do with it. So let's look at it. James, we're going to go to chapter 2 now. James 2, verse 14. He says this, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things they are needed, that are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well, or good for you. He says, even the demons believe, and they tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? James is just money in the bank. So good. Let me give a clarifying statement here. I don't know who first said this. It's been around for a long time, but here's the quote. Faith alone saves. Okay? But the faith that saves is not alone. It has good works with it. Let me say that again. Faith alone saves. But the faith that saves is not alone. It has good works with it. We've said this before. My salvation is not dependent on how well I do. It's not depending on my works, how well I can clean up my life. Salvation is a free gift. Salvation has nothing to do with my works. But discipleship has everything to do with works. Otherwise, Jesus would have given a great commission that you can now go and do nothing. You've received, go sit at your house and sit alone and do nothing. But what did he do? Every commission that he gave had action with it. Go and do something about it. Discipleship. Here's the issue, and hear my heart in this, okay? We live in a very consuming culture. It's easy button. It's like convenience. Serve me. If it doesn't serve me well, I'm not doing it. If it's not easy, I'm not doing it. And unintentionally, this bleeds into the church. And, it's, and it's, a, it's a poison that bleeds into the church. If consumerism comes into the church, then we are truthfully operating in sin, according to James. And we can hear and we can know so much, but if we never act upon it, hear me in this, we become spiritually fat or obese, not spiritually healthy. Hear me, hear my heart in this. I, I know so many people who can quote scripture and they know theology, they know doctrine, but they're not. their actions don't show it at all. They don't serve their spouse. They don't lead their kids well. Their life is a train wreck. Not because God doesn't love them, but because they didn't take this and put it into here And then to put it into action. Here's a great start. But eventually I gotta do something. You know, I've seen some of these shows. I remember one time (laughs) growing up, we were flipping through the channels, and I saw one of these shows, and I'm not here to make fun of anyone or bash anybody. Please hear my heart in this, but this is a decent example. I was we saw this show in passing of this person who was in their house, and they they had become so large they were over a thousand pounds. But they were so large that they couldn't get out of doorways. So they became so large, physically large, that they had to cut a hole in the side of their house and bring in a forklift and forklift them out. And honestly, my heart breaks. Can you imagine being in that position? How embarrassing it would be. My heart breaks for that person. But how did they get there? Consuming without action. Consuming without taking a walk once in a while, without going outside, without going to to the gym or just standing up and walking around the house, consuming without action. And eventually they stopped going out to eat and eventually the food was just being brought to them. Spiritually, this can happen very easily. Technology is a blessing. Church online is a blessing. There's time and a place for it. But it can never replace the genuineness and what happens when believers physically gather together. There's a time and a place for it. I'm not anti it. I'm not bashing anybody that does it. Well, I'm sure we will do it sometime in the future. Hear me. But that cannot substitute church for me. It cannot. Because what happens is I can sit at home and I can pick out the best preacher that I like the most, that speaks, the, preaches the messages that I like, and I can sit at home and I can do nothing with it. But there's something special that happens spiritually whenever believers gather together. And that's why God's word says we're two or more are gathered together. He's there among us. It's a deeper level of his presence when a group of believers gather and we get into his presence through worship. It's his manifest presence, his made known presence that is available to step into. There's something special that happens when you come to church and you're not on the prayer team, but somebody next to you, you're talking to them before or after service and they share something that's going on in, your li- in their life. And they say, hey, could you pray for me? And you're not on the prayer team, but you need to pray for somebody. (laughs) I didn't sign up for this, but you got to lay hands on somebody and say, yeah, I can, hey, I'm a believer. I can pray for that. There's something special that happens in you and in them, but in you. There's something special that happens when people show up to church and are so selfless in their attitude that they're willing to rock someone else's baby so someone else can receive That takes a special person. And that special person is someone who is like Jesus. That's what makes him special. I'm willing to show up, and I'm okay with missing out what's going on in there. Because I'm going to do what Jesus would do. Honestly, Jesus would probably be across the hall anyway if he was here physically today anyway. He'd be having fun serving kids. Here's what Abraham showed us. James draws attention to Abraham. and Abraham showed us this. That his faith was revealed through his sacrifice. It wasn't convenient. (laughs) He had to go and take his son, his promised son, and he was willing to kill him and sacrifice him if needed. God stopped it, obviously, but he was willing to go the distance and sacrifice anything to serve Jesus and to serve our Heavenly Father. A living faith can't help but help. If I can do something, I will do something. If I can pray, I'm going to pray. If I can give, I, I'm going to give. There's been times in Leslie and I's marriage where it's like, we honestly, we, we can't afford to, to help you buy groceries, but we can pray for you, okay? Like, we, we don't have any money in the bank, but we can at least pray. We can do something. We can help serve somehow. If I can do something, I will do something. And that's the attitude of a living faith. This should cause us to take inventory of our lives. Is it all inward focus or is it outward focus? What am I doing? Is there any any proof or fruit of selflessness with my life? Can I show it in a way? Can I see it? Is it evident? Am I sending people away when they come to to us in need? And this is what James writes. He says, people will come and say, hey, I got this going on. He said, if you send them away, I know you don't have food and you haven't had food in three days, but hey, be warm and filled, brother. We'll be praying for you. But you could do something, he says, that's sin. That's sin. Verse 19, he says something profound. He says, saying you believe in God, all it does is put, he put, that puts us on par with the demons in hell. But this is where a lot of people in the American convenient culture have settled. I believe in God. But James is saying, man, we got, there's, God's got some good stuff for you to do. God's got some exciting adventures for you to go on. God's got some faith steps that you can walk out and you're going to see his faithfulness and you're going to get to know him more and you're going to see him and know him intimately like you've never experienced before. And you're going to see him come through on promise after promise after promise. Not because you're proving yourself to him, but just simply because you're doing what he said to do in his word. And that's the promise. James 1.25, He says, doers of the word will be blessed in what they do. Blessed in what they do. We're called to have a living faith. God's desires for you to have a living faith, not a faith that's static, not a faith that's dead, not a faith that's just on the sidelines doing nothing, watching other people walk with God. God is saying, Hey, I love you enough. Will you walk with me? Will you walk with me? Will you move with me? Will you trust me? Will you live with me? But what does a living faith do? Those three things that we see from James. Controls our tongue, watches what we're allowing to come out, it repents. By looking in the mirror of God's word, and if I gotta wipe something off, change something, fix something, I do it, and then I move on with my life. It produces fruit. It hears, and it does. Healthy people, what do they do? They eat, and they exercise. They eat, and they they do something. They gotta burn some calories. Spiritually healthy people hear and do. Works the same way. And if we'll do that, we have a good father who's not looking to put us down, but just like a loving spouse who would show you a mirror and say, hey, you got something on your face or stuck in your teeth. Just like a loving spouse would do that, our heavenly father has done that with this. He says, look at this like a mirror. I wanna show you some stuff that you can just fix so you can be a better you. And in being a better you, guess what? I'm gonna bless everything you put your hand to. Isn't God good? Everything, and so some of these, I know this is one of those messages where it feels a little heavy, but look, every action that God says I need you to do, He always backs it with a promise he doesn't leave you empty-handed well obey me blindly he says obey me because i got so much more for you and it's going to be so much better if you just trust me and do it my way than if you trust your own self and do it your way let me pray for you heavenly father we love you come before you right now in the name of jesus lord and we just thank you for your word thank you for today lord i thank you that today you have spoken to our hearts You've ministered to us, Lord, you've shown us that, Lord, maybe we have some stuff that we need to fix, just like your word being a mirror to us. Lord, if there's something out of place, if there's something that we need to, to get rid of, to lay down, to sacrifice, to, to wipe off whatever it is, Lord, I just pray that you would help us. Help us act on it. Help us do it. Help us do what you're prompting us to do. And Lord, thank you that as we walk in agreement with your word that you are going to bless everything we put our hand to, and we're going to give you glory for it. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.